And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A new Wizards After Dark. I'm so we're recording this one. I'm just saying it right off the bat. I'm recording this on a Friday because it's going to be All Star Weekend coming up, and the dogs are barking about it. That's how exciting it is, and I am ready to take off some time on Monday and Tuesday. So I wanted to record an actual podcast for people to listen to kind of wrapping up the first half of the season and more previewing the second half of the season for the Wizards, but I'm doing it on Friday. So something absolutely insane happens this weekend, which I don't anticipate. Clearly, I'm recording this early. You know, you guys are just going to have to deal and pretend like you listen to this thing on Friday. Otherwise, I think we're going to be pretty okay. But if we ignore the All-Star game, it's because it hasn't happened yet when we're recording. And I'm saying we because it's not just me on today. I've got uh, for the first time it's actually been about two months since we podcasted together for the first time, I guess, in two months. It's Dave Dufour, my esteemed colleague, Dave Dufour. Am I esteemed? Uh, sorry, I didn't even realize the dog was in this room. I, I, I thought he was out of here. He was so That's quiet. Okay. I like I like the, was the la- natural sound. He was l- laying in wait just to <laughs> to disturb Fred Katz on the intro. Hey. That's the explainer, even. Not even an intro. You were like giving excuses here. <laughs> Fred, I'll tell you. They should hold your listeners should hold you accountable. We should predict any wild things that could happen over That's the all true. break. What's well, right? I guess I guess Blake Griffin just got but just worked a buyout according to Woj yeah. about five minutes before. So I guess the most realistic, crazy thing that would be like, holy crap, how are you not talking about that? Would be like if Blake Griffin, which I do not anticipate, but if Blake Griffin were to somehow sign with the Wizards, like if they were to use their uh their disabled player exception from Thomas Bryant to just give Blake Griffin a few extra million. That'd be interesting. I mean, at least it's adding a better player than, than you have on the roster. This podcast within three minutes is already going to be out of date. If Blake Griffin signs with somebody by Monday, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's what I want to do. I, I want to talk a little bit about the first half of the season, but, but, really use this as kind of a preview for the second half because it's 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 really weird how like vibes are just so important to how we talk about an NBA team, you know? The Wizards are are 14 and 20. They I feel like that Clippers game last night or Thursday night was was so big for their for the vibes component. And I never know really how to judge that kind of stuff because the people who say chemistry, the emotions of a team, you know, momentum is as good as your next day starting pitcher. I I don't know if that's completely true. Confidence is a real thing and feeding off of each other is a real thing. And when you're around an NBA team, you notice a team that's playing with confidence and a team that's self-assured and a team that doesn't go into a game like a bunch of schlubs and actually goes in thinking it's going to win. And that matters. And I I think 
vibes for the Wizards kind of matter, and they've been different, and they've played with a different kind of energy over this 8 out of 11 stretch. And I feel like that Clippers game last night, which was just a bonkers ending, in which it seemed like nobody wanted to win, and there were so many mistakes on both sides closing out that game, I feel like going into the break with that win was just kind of a nice thing for them, being able to go in saying they won 8 out of 11, as opposed to, oops, they lost the Boston game, which they blew in the final minute. They got killed by Memphis at home, and then they dropped one of the Clippers. Now they're going in on a three-game losing streak. I I feel like the positive momentum for them, 8 out of 11, it's, it's pretty solid right now. I mean, yeah. It's it's better to win that game than to lose it, and they need every win they can get because they had such a rough start. And obviously, the health and safety protocol stuff really, you know, they got especially hammered, um, like a few teams did. Because early on in the season, obviously, teams were almost being punished to a certain degree, having to play games shorthanded. The league was very conservative about ruling guys out, and so you know they kind of got dealt a raw deal, and and. I think winning 8 of 11 going into the break is a nice way to look back at the first half and say, look, we're we're 14 and 20. We could be, you know, we could have nine wins right now. And and, and that would be significantly worse. They'd be the worst team in the West, uh, in the East instead of a team that's only a couple games out of the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, winning that game against winning any game for this team is great, but in particular, it's good to have that momentum going into a long layoff because you want these guys to come back sort of riding the wave that they've been on. And I think you, you had an opportunity there for a big letdown if they if they had not picked up that win. I and, mean, you know, we were looking at Utah. They go into the break. They've been the hottest team all year. They go into the break losing four of their last seven. And how do you think they feel? And this is before Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell get picked last in the pickup game. So – you know, I, I think that I'd much rather have the the Wizards momentum right now. I'd rather have the Utah Jazz roster, but the momentum certainly. Like I think the Wizards, it's important. We talked about this a lot on Nerder, how the lack of fans, the condensed schedule, the no practice, your momentum is is going to be internally generated. It's very much about the vibes of your team. You know, the Lakers had great vibes to start the year, and and they were cruising. The Wizards have picked up on that. I think they've been great. Even in the game they blew against Boston, the vibes were good. The, the, the execution was, was maybe lacking, but I thought the process was good. It, you know, Bradley Beal steps out of bounds. He gets trapped. Credit to Boston for actually being able to play defense on that play. But if you're the Wizards, it's like, uh, you know what? We can live with this. We, it wasn't because we did anything wrong. It was because there was a mistake. And, and those like mistakes are okay. Bad process is bad. And so I think their process has been good. And even these these losses that they've had lately, you can say, well, you know what, though? We're sticking to our game plan and it's clearly working. All right. I'm introducing a new segment to the podcast. I'm going to call it I'm going to call it the Twitter question of the day. I I don't I don't think it needs an explainer. And today's Twitter question of the day is coming from. Uh, Dexter L. Mike, shockingly, on Twitter. And I like this question because it makes about as much sense as the Wizards do (laughs) and is about as vague as the Wizards are. And his question is, question dot, 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 why is this happening? Uh, 
It is a great question. My reaction after watching a lot of these Wizards games lately is what the hell just happened. It's amazing yeah. how many close games they're playing right now and that they're squeaking out. You know, the two Denver games came down to the last shot. The Clippers game comes down to the last shot. The Boston game comes down to the last shot. And early in the year, they're... Part of it is just the fact that I think luck tends to even out over the larger sample size, to be honest. Beginning of the year, they were one in seven in games that came within five points with five or fewer minutes remaining. And normally when games are close, you you tend to things tend to even out a little bit. They started losing seven of their first eight of their next eight. They won seven of their next eight. It's like perfect poetry. But they're obviously doing a lot of stuff better. So so I'll I'll ask you this eight of eleven stretch in, in your opinion, and then I'll I'll give some of mine, because there there are obviously numerous reasons for this. What do you think, not just what's happening, but like what do you see that isn't flukish? Because obviously some of this isn't flukish and they're doing some stuff better right. that might be sustainable. What do you see that isn't actually flukish that we can look ahead well, to the second half of the season and be like, oh, that's a thing they're better at now? What did I text you about the other day? Russell Westbrook. I, I think Russell Westbrook accepting the role that he is in is is a big difference for them. Uh, end of games, deferring to Bradley Beal, and actually, you know, forcing the switches and, and setting screens and getting into the corner and attacking closeouts or taking the shots when they're there. I think that that has been such a boon for them that Russ is actually playing like, you know, a second banana. And that's a big deal. You know, obviously getting buy-in from Russell Westbrook tells me that stuff is going right there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I think he's playing better. I think he still has his moments where he loses his mind. You know, he had a two and a half sure. minute stretch against Memphis. But you live with four that. Turnovers. But I, I think you live with that because sometimes he's going to give you a stretch where it's the other way. Mm-hmm. Right. I think you, you know, and, and it's sort of like the Steph Curry thing. Yeah, Steph Curry flips a a behind-the-back pass out of bounds in Game 7 of the NBA Finals. And you don't necessarily love that. Uh, But you love the the thinking that leads to that, which is how you get him pulling up from 35 feet in transition. You know, and I think with Russell Westbrook, it's the same way, but it's always tilted too far toward the chaos end of the, the spectrum. Yeah. And what he's been doing has been under control, with moments of chaos. And, and the thing is, nobody can create chaos in the way that Russell Westbrook can. So I, I think, and, and you know, Scotty Brooks knows him well, obviously. There seems to be a lot of trust between Beal and, and Westbrook. And um, I think that what we're seeing from Russ is checking that ego that allows him to, you know, that allows that chaos to sometimes get out of control. I think he has that under wraps. And in the moments where he's trying stuff, you just have to let him try stuff because that's how you get the really great moments from Russ. But it's nice to know that his default in crunch time is going to be now. Well, hopefully this continues, but it's going to be deference and attacking where the opportunities lie instead of trying to force the issue. I think that has been the biggest thing that I've seen in the last you know 12 to 15 games for them. He's been better, no question. And he's been attacking more. His shot selection has changed. He looks healthier. He looks Under quicker. control on defense. 
yeah, he 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 looks better for sure. You know, people harp on the efficiency with Russ. And for me, I I actually if you're talking like Russ problems, I think the efficiency is like not in the top three, to be honest. No, it's the turnovers and the uh and the bad defensive plays where he which are almost defensive turnovers. And it's the free right. throws. The Clippers hacked him yeah. last night. It's bad. They went to hack a Russ. Did you ever think it's crazy. Like the free it's throw like he's stuff lost is his crazy. Touch. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I, What's going on with him around the rim? How how are his numbers at the basket? So he he spent the last few years and it you know, it started like the last couple of years in Oklahoma City where he was rough for the first 6 or 7 8 years of his career at the basket. And then he got himself above 60%, which is like spectacular. And he and he sustained that. Is that has that dropped at all? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know how you are, Fred. Well, I got it right here. The thing is, the percentages are really high, but it's on a much smaller sample. Right. He's just not getting there. So so yeah. it's sometimes I find percentage at the rim a little bit dubious because, you know, guys who only take layups and dunks in transition are going to shoot a ridiculously high percentage of the rim. It doesn't mean they're really good at the rim. Guys who might have 9 million different types of layups that they're able to make with incredible grace might shoot a little bit worse. They're clearly way better at the rim. So so, so I, I take percentages at the rim with grains of salt. According to basketball reference, Russ is shooting 68% at the rim, but only 18 within, within three feet of the rim, I should say, but only 18% of his shots are coming within there. If you really want to say within 10 feet, he's... He's shooting, you know, closer to the high 50s within 10 feet, which is a which is a good number. I mean, that's a legitimately good number. He's shooting in the high 50s within 10 feet. And what is the math? I'm doing it right now. About 43, 44 percent of his shots. That's according to basketball reference are coming within 10. So that all, you know, those those are all good numbers. But again, he's he's not getting there as much as he used to, or I should say the beginning of the year, he wasn't getting there as much as he used to. So when he was getting there, those attempts were easier. So, so I don't know. The free throw stuff is very weird. I don't know if it's mental. I I remember four, four years ago, he got off to a terrible start from the line. And it was when the NBA changed its delay of game rules. And I remember. Yeah. And so Russ used to have this free throw routine. What's crazy about this is that people used to tell me all the time and now it's too late in his career. I don't have people telling me this anymore. They kind of admit that they're wrong, but really smart basketball scouts, really smart NBA people used to tell me, no, I think he's going to eventually learn how to shoot threes because a lot of times people take free throw uh, percentage as an indicator of what kind of jump shooter you can be. And Russ is you know, you look at the first eight years of his career, he's consistently in the 80s. And he was over 80 for his career, 82 or and something And he's an okay like mid-range shooter. Yeah, he, he calls it the cotton shot. The, that, yeah, he that, jumps too high on his threes, though. That's the issue. I don't, and it, it, it's, tough, it's tough for him to repeat the motion, especially late games. Yeah, well, yeah. when he was younger, his, when he was younger, the big thing to take out was that his he'd almost like, uh, you know, the Tasmanian devil? Before he starts to run, you see yeah. the legs pumping up the dust. That's how he'd shoot jump shots when he was younger. <laughs> the legs, he'd jump and his legs would kind of dangle and they 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 kind of kick together. Like, you know, he's clicking his heels together on his jump shot. And obviously that's, that's not a good way to maintain balance. 
you know, you want to look at a guy who maintains balance. Beal is actually tremendous at maintaining balance on his jump shot. And Russ, that was the big thing he had to work out. He's much better at that now. But yeah, you're right. There's still the stuff where he, he jumps a lot. But on free throws, that's not an issue. And so when right. they changed the delay of game rules, he used to walk behind the three-point line and walk back. And they changed the game the in-between free throws. And they changed the delay of game rules and uh, Russ couldn't do that anymore. He had to change his free throw routine. And he said that was the reason he was struggling with free throws. That was the first year of his career or maybe the second year of his career that he shot worse than 80% from the line, whatever he ended up at that year, 73, I think it was, it was the worst percentage of his career. The next year he falls into the sixties last year in Houston, he's back up to 76, but still well below where he was before. And then this year, He's in the high 50s from the line, and it's been he was seven for 15 against the Clippers. He's shooting 50% or maybe a little bit worse over his last 12 games from the line. He got hacked against the Clippers. It's just, it's very strange. Uh, I don't think we can attribute it to the free throw, the change in delay of game rules anymore. That was four years ago. It's, uh, it's it's very odd. I don't know if it's mental. I can't tell if it's fundamental. Scott Brooks has hinted that he's working at changing certain things, but he didn't really go into depth as to what those things are. It's a weird thing. I think it's going to work out because just like it's too weird to predict that Russell Westbrook's going to shoot 58% from the line for a full season. I mean, that's just too strange for me to comprehend. So I think second half gets better. But it is very weird. Right? It is just a it is weird, weird thing. Yeah, well, I mean, remember LeBron started having trouble out of nowhere a couple of years ago. I mean, it, he was never as good at the line as as Russ, but you know, there was a huge drop off for him too. I mean, I wonder if Russ wouldn't benefit from no routine. This is one of my one of my tricks for players that that overthink it at the line. Cause it's not like Ru- like there's nothing wrong with his form. At all. I think his form is fine. I wonder if he just needs to walk right in and just shoot it. You know, Clay Thompson used to do that. It was almost like a catch and shoot from the free throw line. I don't know. I don't know if Russell listens to your show, but if so, give that a shot. <laughs> I'm sure he does. He's a he's a yeah. big time listener. Yeah. He loves <laughs> he loves hearing those bet MGM ads. He's huge on them. Hey, listen. Hey, free first bet up to six hundred dollars, man. Pretty good. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, so, Russ, so you Russ think been, you think Russ is sustainable? Russ. I agree. I, I hope it's I hope it's sustainable because it's process, right? Like this is not and it's health. He's not doing anything special, right? Exactly. It's it's process and health. And I think you know it's something that we've been wanting from Russ. It, we saw it start in Houston last year when they went to the small ball, you know, <laughs> basically Russ and four shooters in in Houston. And it worked and it is because he played in a role, but I think he still got a little, a little wild too often. And, and it feels like that's reined in a little bit and maybe as he gets healthier, that stops being reined in. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I hope it doesn't, I hope that he continues to play the same way because he's actually been, he's been dangerous in crunch time because of the way that he has been patient and attacked the opportunities that are presented to him instead of trying to force the issue. Yeah, I've got I've got three quick hitting things that are uh, that I think are sustainable. 
as well. And when I say sustainable, I don't mean I think they're an eight and three team for the rest of the year, but it does mean that I don't think they're a six and 17 team for the rest of the year. I think they're probably about the average of those two things, or maybe even a little bit better. But here are my quick hitters. One doesn't require any analysis. Uh, Davis Bertans, I think, is is back to hitting shots. And that's a very important thing. They paid him $80 million for that. And he's back to hitting 40 plus percent of his threes. And that's very helpful to the offense when he's able to do that. Secondly, I think Robin Lopez has been quite good for them. I absolutely, he's been a really helpful defender, rim protector, paint protector. And you know what? He he's he's been pretty solid offensively. That hook shot goes in every freaking time. It is the goofiest. It might be the single goofiest shot in the NBA. And it goes in every freaking time. He's shooting like 60 something percent on hook shots this year. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I was watching that Boston game and he looked off a wide open Russell Westbrook to hit that hook shot. And it's so awkward. (laughs) It's so awkward, but it. Who cares? It works. It is so it's the most awkward thing ever. And it's great. And it's working. He's crazy accurate with it. And I guess how the hell are you going to block it? He's either going to make it or he's not going to make it. And it's going to be on him. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. One of the things that I think is really great about basketball is the unpredictability of it. I'm getting really existential. And one of the things <laughs> that that I love, what's so great about the game is that you try to put together rosters of skill sets that make sense. And like, that's a thing that we talk about all the time. Like Russell Westbrook should play with shooters. How many times has every single person, myself included a million times said that Russell Westbrook should play with as many shooters as possible. Robin Lopez, he'll take the occasional three, not a shooter. Certainly not a spacer hangs out in the paint. Russ and Robin Lopez playing together should be, should make for really bad offense. It really should. And I understand that there are times where it does make for bad offense and it's, and it's not directly with them. It's because you have multiple guys now guarding inside the three point line. And it's harder for someone like Beal or Bertans to maneuver or for guys to get space or for us to have driving lanes or whatever. I get that. But one thing that I think is, it's just kind of fun. Russ and Robin Lopez have developed some some nice chemistry. Russ finds him well. And this is the thing with Russ and, and pretty much every big man he's ever played with. He had great chemistry with Steven Adams. He had great chemistry with Capella, like right off the bat until, you know, they ended up getting rid of him. Um, he he's He's pretty good at 
being able to find his big man in the right spots. And you kind of forget that when you talk about Russ needs to play with shooters no matter what. I think he and Robin Lopez have developed a nice little chemistry. Russ is really good at kind of just dumping those passes off to him. And it's just a fun little quirk inside the game. You know, uh, I I enjoy it. I enjoy watching it. It's a little bit of an unexpected thing. It's not tremendous world-beating offense, but it's kind of a fun thing. And I don't think Russ and Robin Lopez together is a disaster like some people thought it might be offensively. Uh, and and I think it works. And, and my other sustainable thing, which I do want to talk about with you, is the one wizard is going to be starting the All-Star game. Uh, Bra- Bradley Beal's been ridiculous. I mean, this stretch is, <laughs> is crazy. To say the least. To say the least, he's been ridiculous. I mean, this this I mean, stretch is yeah. the basketball he's played. He's been great all year, no question. The stretch he's played over these 11 games is, um, I mean, he's just playing incredible, incredible basketball. He's, he's shooting yeah. like he's shooting like in the high 50s on twos. He's shooting 93 from the line over these 11 games. He is is basically just going for 30 to 35 every single night. I think his defense has been better, by the way. I really do. He's actually had moments where he's he's looked pretty good. He's had moments where he doesn't run back in transition or he decides that he's going to jog back in transition and then go to the corner to guard someone. Someone gets the ball and he tries to poke it out from behind. And it's just he looks exhausted. He's still having the moments, but it's because he controls so much of the offense. He has just he's just become a killer. It's amazing. We watched him firmly sort of become like plant himself in the field of stars. And and he's probably now on that tier two level of stars. Like that's how that's how much this has changed since the start of last season. Um, I think he's a lock for all NBA. You know, I mean, he's probably going to lead the league in scoring. I don't see anything changing there, you know, as long as he stays healthy. I think if they if they somehow make the playoffs. Bradley Beal's not going to be, you know, a top five MVP guy. But like if you do a ladder, he's probably somewhere in the top 10 just for because of the degree of difficulty in getting that team into the playoffs. And, And, you know, it's why Steph Curry gets a boost in the MVP conversation if the Warriors, you know, make the playoffs, the same thing we do for a lot of other guys, but the Wizards don't have, I mean, it's Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, and a bunch of young players and Robin Lopez, (laughs) you know, young players who, who are coming around. I mean, like Denny obviously started out really great. And I think the role stuff is, is starting to mess with him a little bit. I think Rui has been, not a revelation, but man, what a boon to them that he so quickly turned into a guy who can stand up against some of the big wings in the league. But but what Beal has done with that collection of parts, I mean, if they make the playoffs, and, and it's a long ways off, but I, I think that this run here, if it's sustainable, not at that pace, but if they can get themselves into that eight-seed conversation and, and potentially make the playoffs as the eight-seed, he's probably going to be like, Seven, eight are my list of MVP guys because I just think that the degree of difficulty is so high there. That's high. But I think you could also make an argument for him for second team all NBA. So maybe it's not crazy. For sure. 
That's what, I, and that's what leads me to that thinking, right? Yeah, I mean, I think your top, your, I think your first team guards right now are probably Lillard and Steph. Though I'll accept I mean, Harden, Harden's Harden's going to make a Harden's going to be making a hell of a push. The Harden, the Harden conversation Harden's be is in the MVP conversation by the end of the year. Maybe I don't know, man. I, I I think it's really hard to get into the MVP conversation when you. I mean, like him him openly tanking a team was part of this season. You know, it was part of his season. Oh, I've forgotten about that already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's got to move on, man. But it's just part of the season. It's 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 part of the sample you have to evaluate. It's not like his season started just when he went to the Nets. You know, he's been spectacular. When he, he's an unbelievable mm-hmm. player, he's been spectacular since going to the Nets. Uh, but you know, openly tanking a team, not wanting to be there. You know, the other candidates. I do not doubt that every single time they took the floor this season, they they reasonably tried their hardest. I understand you can't just go all out every day of the regular season in the NBA, but they reasonably tried their hardest and and certainly wanted to win. I, I don't doubt that for Embiid and Jokic and LeBron and Giannis and Curry and Kawhi. Beal, you mentioned, uh, you know, some other guys who are probably some of my mind, Durant. I don't doubt that. Harden for about three weeks there didn't. And uh, that makes it hey, listen, tough for me to have that. Combo. I will tell you this. I wish somebody could tank on my team and put up 25 with 10 assists and five rebounds. You know what I mean? Like let's we're, we're splitting hairs here a little bit. He had some really great games playing for Houston. Yeah. Yeah. This year. I mean, he had a 44 point 17 assist game. That was his first game back. Yeah. His first now, game back from, can, from, 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 you know, not right. showing now, up. If he's, if he's knocked for, not showing up in shape or not showing up on time or any of those things. I, I guess that's, that's a thing, but that seems like a narrative to me. If I'm looking at what he's done in games and especially if we extrapolate what he's been doing since he got to Brooklyn, 25, almost 11 and a half assists, almost nine rebounds a game, 42% from three, 52, uh, 50% overall. 85% from the line. I think I think if the Nets continue to run like this, Harden is absolutely going to be in that top five. He's And he may get hurt because of Kyrie and, and KD being on the same team. But the production is just, I mean, just absolutely otherworldly. And he's propped them up with those guys out, too. Yep. And he's been a tremendous facilitator. He's, look, I... Yeah, but this is a Wizards pod. Why are we talking about James Harden? I don't know. Why the hell not? He's a great player. Is Bradley Beal a better offensive player than James Harden yet? Nah, I don't think so. I'm with you. I don't think so. That's a conversation that should just stop. Until Brad can get, and I'm not saying he can't get here, uh, until he can get on that level as a playmaker for other guys, it, it's it's not even close. Because Beal can certainly hold his own with anybody when it comes to getting a bucket for himself. Like I think he's in that that top tier of guys. But getting buckets for other guys too, that's the next step for him. Yeah, I, I don't think I wouldn't put him that high, babe. Harden yeah. is is maybe the best guy in the league at creating threes for his teammates, and like not just Harden just doesn't create looks for his teammates. He creates good looks and efficient ones. He creates threes. He creates shots at the rim. People talk about him as this analytically friendly player, and they reference his shot selection. 
but the types of shots he creates are just as efficient as the types of shots he takes. So yeah, exactly. he's, I mean, Harden is, I don't know. Yeah. They're very few. I, Sorry, I, I got a sidetracked on the, on the Harden stuff. I didn't mean to I'm cool with putting Beal in the top five. I think Beal, look, that's what, that's my, top my six, point. Top six, something like that. I think Beal is in that, in that group of guys that are, you know, you need a bucket late. I think Beal is in the conversation for a guy you want to give it to. Yeah, I mean, he I was there a year and a half ago. If we're talking strictly scoring, I mean, I think I think KD ruined the conversation for everybody. Of course, I think the answer is just plainly Kevin Durant. And yep. and 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 you know, then then we can have a discussion. But I still think I'm putting Harden there. Um, but then you know, there's there's that tier of guys with with Beal, with Curry, with Lillard, with Doncic, with. You know, LeBron's not the scorer mentality, but the dude's going to be the all-time leading scorer. I think we can call him a scorer. Um, you know, there, there's so many good scorers in the league. It's crazy how many good scorers there are in the league right now. I mean, like Tatum and Zach Levine are just outrageous scorers, putting up ridiculous scoring numbers this year. Incredible amounts of points on incredible amounts of efficiency, especially Levine. And we're not even talking about them. So... There are so many good scores in the league right now. What's another sustainable Wizards thing you got? I think Rui's defense. Yeah, I like that one. I like that one. Right. His on-ball defense big, specifically has, has has been good. It's been yeah. good. I, and and that's a huge development. It's, that's a big deal for them because they didn't, you know, I mean, what, what were we talking about two months ago before the season started? Uh, they're going to have to play Isaac Bonga a lot because they just don't have a guy who can, who can play defense like that. But now, you know, I don't know that that's the issue anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they play Bonga for Garrison Matthews every once in a while when they feel like they really need defense. And, and, and Bonga helps. He's a solid defensive player. But Rui has been good, better on the ball. He still has an issue where I think he's, this is my personal theory. No one has told me this. Rui's never said this. I don't know if he would say this. I don't even know if it's conscious. He might not even realize it. He has an issue where he sags because he guards really good scorers now who can all shoot because they're really good scorers. And he sags off of them too much when they have the ball all the time. He does it all the time. He doesn't get up in their face. I think he's, he's too afraid of getting blown by defensively. I think that's probably why it is. I think he's, he's hedging against the fact that he doesn't want to get blown by. He doesn't want to give up a layup. So he thinks I'll give up a three and he's leaving guys too open on the ball. Still, you know, it happened last night. Kawhi hits a three in crunch time to make it a one point game with 15 or so seconds left. And it's because he sagged off. It happened in the, in the Denver game where he's guarding Jamal Murray in a three-point game with, you know, less than 10 seconds left, and he sags off Jamal Murray, and Murray hits a 30-footer. And after the game, you know, Rui actually did talk about, yeah, you know, I need to be able to adjust on, like, how good these guys are and that they can hit those shots. And I get it. He's still young. That, to me, is another step for him, which he's not at yet. But I think it's a good sign that we're talking about, okay, Rui's next step is knowing his personnel and knowing, get up on this guy. Here's where I can take another step back on this guy and defend against letting this guy go at the rim. 
I don't know how much of it has to do with the fact that he's not confident in his help defense. You know, we talk on this podcast all the time about when you have young players who are learning defense on a defense that doesn't instill good habits in you, then they create bad habits for themselves because they're worried about getting beat. They're worried about not getting help, all those sorts of things. And that's when the bad habits create. I don't know how much of it has to do with that kind of stuff. It's still a second year. It might not be a permanent bad habit. It might just be a next step for him to learn. But to me, I think that's the next simple thing that we can look at for him, him to potentially get better at in the second half of the season. Cause, cause he is a little friskier. He does stick mm-hmm. his hand in guy's face every once in a while. He, he, you know, Rui's not his, his natural uh, disposition is not to, it's not to, dirty is the wrong word because he's obviously not dirty. Eh? But you don't want to be he's dirty. physical, though. He's more physical, but I don't think his natural disposition is physical. I think that's something they're trying to instill in him. And he's more physical now than he was last year, even though all the counting numbers are essentially exactly the same. He's, yeah, but he's touching guys more. Right. Like, yeah. so, you know, there's more to physicality than just bumping. Right. Like He is staying not just staying attached uh, when he needs to, but. You know, there's a certain thing and there's no other way to describe this uh, for me than calling uh, calling a guy a motherfucker. Right. Like just defensively. And it's a guy who constantly lets you know he's there with a hand in the ribs or on a hip or an elbow uh, forearm kind of in your back. You know what I'm talking about, Fred. Right. Like there are these guys and that's what they do. And it's a hallmark of good defenders. Right. Like I, I am going to stay attached when I can. And when I am doing that, I'm going to make sure you know I'm there because I'm trying to get you to give something up. But I'm also I want you to come like I want you to avoid try to avoid that contact and be uncomfortable when we are connected. And Rui is picking up on that. And that's stuff. I mean, it's it's about playing more basketball for him. I think this is this is a reps thing. He's probably. He would probably be farther along this season if they were having normal practices and have had a normal camp and all of these other things. You know, going to the bubble, we talked about this when they went down to the bubble. Rui was going to benefit the most from that, getting the extra practice time. And I think that we're seeing some of that play out now. It's a shame we can't see what it would look like under normal training circumstances. You think they make the playoffs before we wrap? Nah, nah, they don't, they don't, they don't have the, the talent. I don't think I, I like Chicago better. I, I like the Knicks better, uh, in particular, just because, you know, they, they found so much money there defensively. Um, and it's just, I don't know, man, it's going to be tricky. Like, I think Atlanta is better than they are, but Atlanta could come kind of combust. I think that that's a, a tenuous situation, especially with an interim coach. Um, the Pacers are better than they've played. They're about to get Karis Levert back. I, I just don't and see TJ who's Warren gonna drop. Too. Yeah. I just don't see who's going to drop. And, and that was the thing that was in play for them. You know, Atlanta, you know, kind of imploding. The Pacers dealing with a, maybe another injury on top of Karis Levert. The Bulls sort of falling off. But that stuff hasn't happened. I think Charlotte is is likely a playoff team, which is a great surprise and in, in development. Um, yeah, I just think it, it's it's tough, but they're not as hopeless as they look to start the year. That I think that's a big win for them. Yeah, I think I think if they get there, their two biggest hopes. So they're in twelfth right now, and they're only two games back of the play in. I think if they're going to get to tenth, their two best chances to pass teams are Atlanta 
and Charlotte. Although I could be swayed on Chicago, I would put Chicago next. Um, mm-hmm. One, whatever. Although maybe I'm arguing against my point because one of the things Charlotte has going for it is Charlotte wants to make the playoffs. Charlotte really wants to make the playoffs. The thing is, so does Everybody Atlanta. Everybody wants to make the playoffs. So does Atlanta. I mean, there are a lot of teams in the East that are going for it. Indiana will want to make the playoffs. And like you said, they're going to get their injured guys back. I think Boston will play better in the second half. Miami is really starting to surge. Toronto, I just cannot imagine Toronto finishing this season under 500. And they've played better lately, though they've then fallen off again even more recently. But I just cannot imagine Toronto finishing under 500. Toronto, I guess if they fall off, you know, they're they're a type of team where like Messiah Jerry gets aggressive. You know, if they have a terrible two weeks out of the break, who knows what happens at the trade deadline? But yeah. but I'm not anticipating it to the degree that they fall below the Wizards. So it's going to be really tough for them. But you're right, it, Atlanta has some combustibility. Uh, Chicago, it's not like they're some sort of uber talented team that's going to run to 45 wins. I mean, if they get in, I think they're going to get in. I'm still using an 82 game mindset. Uh, Right. But, you know, if they get in, they're going to get in with a 470 winning percentage. Uh, They're not going to get in with some sort of dominant record. Uh, Oh, I think the East is open for, I mean, some some really abysmal looking records getting into the playoffs. But it's going to be, I I think, five, maybe even four through 12 could be separated by like three or four games. That's the thing is the margin for error is going to be pretty low. Now, we'll see as the second half goes, because I expect a lot of teams that had bad health luck, this is going to start to kind of even itself out as we're getting, you know, better about the protocols, and hopefully there's less cases of, you know, COVID-19 going around generally. Um, But there's not a single team in the East that's tanking. Even Detroit. They're, They're not losing on purpose. And... I think that that makes it tough for the teams like the Wizards and the the Cavs and the Magic um, to sneak back into the playoff picture because everyone wants to make it this year. And and to be honest with you, listen, if there was ever a year to just go ahead and tank, I think this is the year. Cade Cunningham is going to be awesome. Yes, he is. For a long time. And everyone else wants to win. And I'm not saying – I'm not advocating that the Washington Wizards lose game on on purpose because, listen – I think professional basketball players have too much pride for that, and I think that it it hurts your franchise when you when you have that mindset. In particular, when it's a a you know sort of retreating from trying to win and just saying, okay, we got to turn around and tank. But man, if you wanted to work on developing your young guys, and the side benefit was you're getting a better shot at getting Cade Cunningham, this is the season. It's probably the easiest to do it. I don't think the Wizards are going to do it. The Wizards are going to absolutely gonna, not. No, I mean no I, they're not going to tank. They're I think they're no, going to hold the on to Beal. The Minnesota Timberwolves are somehow going to wind up with Cade Cunningham. Yeah, and we're all going to wonder why he didn't have the career that he could have had. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, let's wrap. Uh, I'll be back maybe later this week, or you know, later next week, or you know, however the hell we're doing this. Uh, you know, maybe later back back later in the second week of march i don't know maybe otherwise the following week i'll be back with another episode um check out my piece with jason quick that i went up on friday morning uh spoke to bradley beal for a long time he spoke to damian lillard for a long time quick is like legit 
I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast episode he's the and hear goat. me say it. He's yeah, the goat. he's just the I'll greatest. Writing with that dude is intimidating. He is unbelievable. Uh, I, I was really excited about how it turned out, and I think Wizards fans, if you haven't read the piece already, will be excited about some of the quotes from Bradley Beal in there about his future and his views on what it would mean to him to win a championship with one organization as opposed to going elsewhere and trying to win one elsewhere. I think uh, it's about the friendship between Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard and how it's kind of based in loyalty. So uh, the concept of loyalty and, and, and how they, f- how they feel about that, that core value. So check that out over on, on the athletic NBA. Uh, Can so- I comment on that, on that for like, just like 30 seconds? Yes. Isn't it refreshing? And I'm not a guy who is anti-player empowerment. And I think that if player, you know, I'm actually kind of anti-draft even. Um, but it is very cool that there are two premier stars in the league that say they want to do it the hard way. I like that. I respect it. Yeah. I think there are more than two. I think, I think Giannis, I think it's Giannis is certainly in that category. Clearly (laughs) Curry clearly. Uh, and you know, guys who have changed teams did feel that way. You know, uh, Russell Westbrook, I put in that category. Uh, Demar Derozan. Demar Derozan. I'll say James Harden. Eh, James Harden forced his way out. I don't know if it's James Harden. Yes, absolutely. So James James Harden said, "I don't think I can win here." And he had you and I are going to have to have a phone call about James Harden because (laughs) uh, listen, I think James Harden he he did everything he could right for that for that franchise. Got him to within a game for a while, and then he said, "I don't think I can win here anymore," and bounced. And the stuff that happened behind the scenes during the summer colored that entire process sure that's fine and it doesn't make james harden any worse of a person than bradley beal sure or stephen curry sure. but it does sure. mean that i'm not going to put him in that category of the person who wants to stay with that single organization because if we don't frame it as a value and we just frame it as a personality trait i can't put him right. in that i can't put him I in that class i wanted to though I think he was that guy, and I think he lost it. I mean, like LaMarcus Aldridge uh, when he left Portland. I think that when he said he wanted to stay in Portland, he meant it. Maybe. And I think I mean, the that's... franchise – like this is the thing though, right? Like the franchise has to come up with their side of this bargain too. So it's great that Bradley Beal wants to stay, but I'm not going to say Bradley Beal is a bad guy if in a year and a half he says, listen, uh, this is not going how we all talked about it going, and I'd like to go somewhere else. That I, I, to me, that's not that's a change in circumstances. That's not him changing his philosophy. Correct. I agree with you. That's why I say I don't I don't take it as a a value and more just a personality trait. And and that's kind of what the story is about. It's about the personality trait yeah. more than anything else. So check that out. Tell your friends about Wizards After Dark. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Give us a rating on iTunes. Give us five stars. Leave a review. Subscribe to The Athletic. You can go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark and sign up for $3.99 a month, and that gets you a full subscription to The Athletic. Everything that you could possibly want, your MLB coverage, NBA, NFL, whatever else, you're going to get it if you go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark and you sign up for only $3.99 a month. It is worth it. My colleagues are amazing. You can read everything that Jason Quick writes. And the guy, as Dave said, is unquestionably the beat writing goat. He is a legend. Uh, so check that out, theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark for $3.99 a month. I will be back at some point soon. Whenever it is, I'll talk to you guys then.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.